We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. I'm Shanae Ogumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. It's a Monday edition of the Pack a Day podcast. Welcome in. It's it's technically still a victory Monday, I guess. Though the Packers didn't play yesterday, but lots of football on the slate, and we're gonna try to break some of it down and revisit the first half of the Packers season here on the Monday episode. I'm Alex Strofe, at Alex underscore Strofe on Twitter. And I missed my friends. It's been a few weeks, uh, as always, every other Monday, joined by the great Perry Goldstein, one of the queens of the Pack-A-Day podcast, I guess you're, you're going by now. That's the, new, that's the new group name, right? I guess so, yeah. It was dubbed uh, onto us. It's good. I guess we need a name now, and that's, uh, that'll be in the works at some point. But Andy Herman with us as well. Hey, Andy, how are you, man? I'm doing great. I've been doing some brainstorming, so I'm right. sure you guys probably aren't the, the wrestling aficionados that, that I am, but there used to be an old uh, WWE tag team called the APA, uh, which was, uh, you know, Bradshaw and Farouk, so we're Alex Perry and Andy, so I think oh. we're the APA of the, the Pack-A-Day podcast. Well done, Andy. I didn't expect I love that. that of you. 
Yeah. Yeah. So we're I think we're we're bringing the pain and what you know the APA you know this nobody cares about this I should shut up before I even go into this but uh, they they were basically like hired out to like you know beat up anyone they weren't like good guys or bad guys they were just like uh, they you know if anyone paid them they'd go beat people up so I feel like you know I, I think we can be like the mercenaries of the Packaday podcast. If you need anybody for Andy to go uh, use his Twitter <laughs> finger against, uh, let him know. I'm sure he'd be happy to do that. As the uh, the now, I'm I'm setting you as the leader of the APA because uh, okay, Ian Perry will stay on the outside looking in on the scuffles. I think, yeah. Yeah, you guys are going to be the ones bailing me out. Is what it's going to be. Is I'm going to get myself into trouble, and then I'm going to have to call you guys in uh, to to figure things out. That's probably how it's going to go. Good, I like it. Well, uh, let's dive into the Sunday slate, guys, because a lot went on. It, it was a as, as Perry said before we press record. It was the prime example of an any given Sunday. A lot of wacky stuff going on in the NFL, and a lot uh, helped the Packers, as, as Andy said before we started recording. So let's get into the big one. Uh, the Seahawks traveled to Buffalo, and they lost in a very high-scoring affair, 44-34 to as, as the Bills, now 7-2, the Seattle Seahawks 6-2. and uh, It was a fun game, Andy, and Josh Allen, I guess we can start there. Man, he, he looks like he's back in that MVP conversation. Yeah, Josh Allen has been well above my expectations for him, really, you know, just as his career as a whole, but certainly as quickly as he's been able to kind of progress this season and become really, you know, the the face of that franchise, and he's everything that they wanted him to be. I've been super impressed with him. You know, I'll be totally transparent. I haven't, you know, exactly got a ton of predictions right this season, but uh, this is one of those games for the Seahawks that uh, I expected the Bills to get the better of them. I don't know that I expected the Bills to kind of win as convincingly as they did, but just one of those, you know, West Coast teams having to play a noon game on the East Coast. I don't think Seattle's quite as good as their record had showed. Their defense has a lot of deficiencies, which I think were very much under the microscope today. I do think they're – it's interesting. I, I kind of feel like the Seahawks team is is reminiscent of some of those old Packer teams where Aaron Rodgers just had to do everything and kind of bail them out. Now, it's not to say that they don't have you know players like D.K. Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, but Russell Wilson has to do so much of the work for that offense, and uh, the, the offensive line still isn't great. Chris Carson has been out. So uh, th- this was definitely a, a game that I had thought that the Bills could compete in and potentially win, but th- they kind of won it run, you know, running away. And uh, kudos to the Bills for what they've been able to do. Uh, I think uh, McDermott as a, as a head coach has been uh, way better than what I expected, and that, that's a really fun franchise right now. Yeah, and Seattle now 6-2, and two, as mentioned. Also, the Packers, of course, 6-2. and two, So makes it interesting implications in the NFC, or really atop the NFC, Perry. Yeah, for sure. I think that, you know, the Seahawks, like Andy said, obviously have some glaring holes, and they're no longer the invincible Seahawks, um, and I think that there's a few things that the Packers can exploit. It's going to be, I think, one of those things where clearly they're high-flying offenses. The defenses haven't caught up yet. Um, We saw that with the Bills game. As Andy said, it was 44-34, so always high scoring somehow with the Seahawks, but a loss just makes, uh, you know, the playoff picture that much better for the Packers and keeps them right there in the running, even though for some reason the the way that the NFC is articulated at the moment, um, they're, they're not seen as quite as equal. But you see people, you know, teams like the Seahawks, potentially the Bucks, um, and others who, who are dropping interesting losses now that we're sort of in the stretch, middle stretch of the season. Uh, and it just 
create sort of a, a better idea of what the playoffs are going to look like and, and what the seeding might might be. And so uh, there are a few other losses that I think we'll get to, and uh, they all have great implications for the Packers. So good good Sunday by all accounts for a Packers fan. Yeah, it should be noted. We're recording just outside of halftime of the Sunday night game between New Orleans and Tampa Bay. New Orleans, as, as it stands right now, up 28-0. to zero. So looking like this game should go. Uh, their way, but another team that was looking to get to six to two in the NFC couldn't quite get their drops to five and three is the Arizona Cardinals, and an NFC West team lost another game to an AFC East team, and that was the Miami Dolphins, who went to Arizona, won that one thirty-four to thirty-one. Is Tua Tungavailoa is Tua and oh, ha ha ha! I'm funny. How long you've been waiting to say that? Alex? I've been sitting. I've been sitting on that for <laughs> I don't know since the game went final, but nonetheless, Arizona now five and three. Kyler Murray, man, he is elusive as heck. He is fun to watch, but uh, they couldn't get the win in this one. So, Andy, give me give me the scope of that one. I mean, that's another team that's right there atop the NFC with Green Bay. Yeah, I mean, first of all, two teams that are very fun to watch with those young quarterbacks. Kyler Murray, as you mentioned, just absolutely explosive. I don't think I've ever seen anybody with as quick of a first step and ability to get from 0 to 60 as quickly as he can. It's absolutely phenomenal and just so fun to watch. But I want to take a look at the Dolphins for a second because this is a team going back to last year that once they traded basically everyone away, you go back to kind of that Texans-Dolphins trade right before the season. They trade away Laramie Tunstall and Kenny Stills, and they prior to that they had already started kind of, uh, you know, shipping off different parts of their team. They go full rebuild. And personally, and I know I wasn't the only one here, I thought they were going to be like an 0-16 team last season. Like I, I legitimately thought that they would struggle to get to one win. They started 0-7. Ever since that point, that has been a 10-7 and team. They won a handful of games a season ago, which I never expected them to win. And then they now have a, a winning record on this season as well. They also have a ton of draft capital coming up in the next couple of years, including the Houston Texans' first pick, which is set to be really freaking good. Um, and uh, they're just in a really, really great spot. And I think it's one of those situations where you know, you looked at the, the Texans at the time, you know, picking up Tunsil and Kenny Stills that looked like they were going to really be the team that kind of won that trade and was going to be able to make a run. And technically they did get, you know, what, a 21 nothing lead in the AFC Championship game a season ago, and then everything's literally fallen apart since that point. But they're now on the the, the downswing and, and really have to figure out a way to rebuild that team without a ton of capital. And the Dolphins are the exact opposite, a fantastically fun team that is overachieving. Um, you know, their head coach has been well above expectations expectations and I just think that that is a very fun team to watch and especially now after getting back-to-back wins against the NFC West with the Rams and then this week against the Cardinals I think they're making a lot of people take notice of the Dolphins in the AFC yeah they they look legit and they look like they should uh, again be be right in the uh, midst of the AFC playoff race which is weird because I don't know if I expected the Dolphins to be there no uh, preseason by any means but uh, let's move to the the other game that had big implications, and I know Perry's going to have a lot to chime in on because uh, I don't sing often, but I know how to sing. The Bears still suck. They've <laughs> lost three straight. They're now five and four. They fall to the Titans in Nashville, twenty four to seventeen. Both teams looking to break uh, two game losing streaks. The Titans ultimately do that again. They're six and two in the AFC, but uh, the lead over the Bears, Perry, is getting larger for the Packers uh, again, who are at six and two. Yeah, I think we kind of expected that, um, right. you know, and I, I don't want to pull, you know, a, be a little bit hypocritical in the way that people were talking about the Packers last season and turn that onto the Bears, but I think it was it's pretty clear that their offense 
is struggling. Uh, when you go into the season not even knowing who your starting quarterback is and then you switch very at the very beginning and your choice is, you know, Trubisky or Nick Foles, it's just very hard to think that anything is going to come of that. I think they won a, a few really close games at the beginning of the season and they, you know, the ball fell their way and that happens sometimes on a Sunday. But at the end of the day, I think fundamentally their offense is clearly not there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think it'll become hopefully clearer uh, when the Packers play the Bears in the next couple of weeks that one team is far and away better than the other. Now I have to give credit to the Bears' defense, and this has been something that, at least in my entire lifetime, has been true about the Bears, which is they have a fantastic defense, usually one of the best in the league, and yet a defense can't win a, win a football game for you if your offense doesn't score points. And that's what we're looking at yet again with the Bears. Um, not for nothing, they have some pretty good weapons. You know, Allen Robinson, great wide receiver. Anthony Miller, nice number two. But they just uh, consistently, as always in my memory, just can't get it right at quarterback. And it just it leaves them in a place of mediocrity. And I think they're hitting that now. Uh, now that the season's in the middle. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit and Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. And I think to your point, Perry, I think one of the things that we've learned, in my opinion, for certain now through eight weeks is the Packers are the best team in the NFC North. And I think that, you know, the Bears were there for a few weeks, you know, kind of sticking right around, uh, you know, with the, at least a similar record. The, the the wheels have really fallen off for the Bears. They, As you mentioned, the quarterback play has gone down. I'm really interested to, to wonder if, like, I, I think there's a real chance that they would have gone back to Mitch Trubisky potentially uh, had he not gotten hurt. He has, like, one play a week ago and is now out for an extended period of time. Uh, they're just like you said. They're in no man's land, and it, it seems very certain now that the, this Bears team is is probably not going to be competing for the NFC North. And what we're looking at now through eight weeks is if that's true, if the Packers do in fact win the North, the NFC East, you know, is going to finish as the worst division, and whatever team wins that is going to get the four seed. So now you're starting to look at. I know we're still halfway there, and you know you don't want to uh, count your chickens before they hatch, but. You're starting to look at, at worst-case scenario, if all goes according to plan and nothing catastrophic happens, the three seed is the worst, and starting to get in those conversations of, all right, can they finish in the two seed, the one seed? What do they have to do? And as we've been discussing through this entire podcast so far, seeing, you know, the, obviously the 49ers lose this week, the Bears lose, the Cardinals lose, the Seahawks lose, uh, the, the Rams had their bye week this week and just lost a week ago to the Dolphins, and now as we're recording this, the Saints are now up 31 to nothing before halftime oh boy. in this 
game. So it looks like the Buccaneers are going to lose, which is major because the Packers have the tiebreaker with the Saints. They do not have the tiebreaker with the Bucs. So the fact that that would move the Bucs to three losses would be huge for the Packers as well. So it's all bringing this together. And I know it's a long way to go and you want the Packers just to play their way in to that number one spot anyway. But uh, any of these things could very much end up helping this Packers team as the season goes along. A lot of ball game left, as Aaron Nagler says, right? I mean, uh, I mean, plenty of what? What's the math here? I'm, I'm no mathematician. But eight more weeks of football to be played. Um, so yeah, plenty of plenty to go on. But to go back to Chicago just briefly, I mean, we're, we're not stating anything new. It seems, as, as Perry said, right? I mean, their defense has the ability to keep them in games and to keep them close, and that's been the case pretty much all season. But the quarterbacks are interchangeable. That offensive line's not really good. Do they have weapons? Sure. But their offense is just not good enough to sustain success in the long term. And I really don't even know if they're a playoff team looking at them through nine games. So we will see as the season rolls on. Elsewhere in the NFL, just briefly today, Baltimore topped Indianapolis 24-10. to Kansas City and Carolina it was a close one, but Kansas City snuck it out 33-31. to and uh, the Chargers caught a walk-off touchdown that was eventually overruled, and the John Gruden Las Vegas Raiders were ha- able to hang on to that one, 31-26. to And Pittsburgh, uh, still the only undefeated team in the NFL. They go over Dallas in a game they really didn't lead for most of it, uh, but they ended up winning 24-19, to now 8-0 on the year. So there you have it. Um, I-, I guess, guys, overall – Biggest takeaway from week nine outside of the 49ers and Packers, which we'll get to shortly. I think for me, it's just that the league is really freaking hard. And I think we saw that again today. The Chiefs really struggle with the Panthers. That was a game the Panthers could have won. The Steelers, as you mentioned, really struggle with the Cowboys. That was a game the Cowboys easily could have won. The Seahawks lose big on the road. You know, Tampa looks like they're going to lose big to New Orleans as we're recording this. It's just, if of all the things that people have said about the Packers, well, you know, there's they're, they're not stout enough against the run, which is true, and maybe they don't have that compliment wide receiver to Devontae Adams. I can go through every single team, and every single fan base is pointing to something on their team that they wish was better as well. Like, there is, there's a flaw in a weakness on every single team as Tom Brady just throws another interception. Uh, there's a flaw in a weakness to every single uh, team right now in the NFL, and I think we've seen those manifest themselves. And even, you know, a Packers team that lost huge to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, well, the Tampa Bay Bucks look like they're going to lose huge to the Saints, well, the Packers beat the Saints. Like, this is just a really tough league uh, week in and week out. I don't want to say it's necessarily any given Sunday because if you're playing the Jets, that's an automatic win. But outside of that, <laughs> you, you have to be able to – to take these teams seriously, and every team is getting a lot better at having their own identity, their own philosophy, and ways that they can win football games. And I think Green Bay's in a really good spot. I think I don't think they have any more weaknesses than any other team in the NFC does, and I think they have a hell of a lot of strengths too. So uh, I was I was pretty excited watching the, the games today and seeing that you know what a lot of these other teams have a lot of the same weaknesses or different weaknesses than the Packers have, and the Packers are right there with any of them from a good standpoint, not the weaknesses. Yeah, I completely agree, Andy. I I think that it's easy to scrutinize your own team because you're paying attention most closely. But if you really do take, like, kind of an objective look, at least the NFC, to me, is still quite wide open. Um, There's probably, like, four, not even six teams, let's say, that that are in it, um, mostly within the same divisions. Uh, And, you know, it's it's just going to be – you have to, you know – 
play out the rest of the season, see how it goes, hope that you win the games that are most meaningful, win as many as you can. But like you said, you know, the Bucks lose, we have the tiebreaker with the Saints. Like that could be something that by playoff picture is meaningful for the Packers and, and you just don't know that at the beginning of the year. So um, I, I think that I I appreciate a lot of like Matt LaFleur's philosophy of just going one and know every week and playing the opponent that's in front of you. Cause I think that's all you can really do here every week. You know, like you said, maybe if you got the jets, you're like, okay, we're good. But any other team, you know, those guys get paid and, and those guys are in the league for a reason. And so like we saw today, maybe, you know, the Cowboys almost beat the Steelers with their third string quarterback. Like anything can happen. Uh, so you just have to focus on what's in front of you and, and take every game as it comes and hope that you walk out of there with a win every single week and not think ahead. Right. And, you know, to echo your philosophy, the parody, especially this year, has been off the chains. I mean, and, and this week was a prime example of that. We don't know where a lot of teams are. And like you said, Perry, the NFC, and really I'd make the case, the NFL as a whole is wide open. I think a lot of teams are still in contention and are still st- starting to solidify a lot of S's, their schemes, um, as we get further along and starting to understand their true identity and where they fit in maybe. Um, but still still a, a lot to be played. But, but yeah, this week was, was another prime example of you know, you got to come prepared. And one, one, one week at a time, you know, the Matt LaFleur philosophy, it is, it is true. Let's uh, go back to Thursday quick, guys. 34-17 Green Bay wins. Again, I've mentioned it a few times, but if you forgot, 6-2 and two now are the Packers. Aaron Rodgers, uh, 305 yards, four touchdowns. It was a big win. San Francisco was beat up. Don't know how much to take away from it. But, Andy, uh, we'll go to you first. What, what were your big takeaways from Thursday's win? Yeah, it's really tough to have, like, any major takeaway from a team that was, like, a player or two away from basically being an XFL franchise <laughs> in that game. But one of the things that stood out to me a lot was, and it, I know it wasn't, like, a month or something that they weren't together, but, like, just seeing Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams on the field at the same time again just really reminded me of how difficult this offense is when both of those guys are on the field to defend for opposing teams. And that was without David Bakhtiari and Alan Lazard on the field as well. And it seems like forever ago that the Packers had their full complement of weapons on offense. And we saw a glimpse of it, I think, against San Francisco. Again, uh, you can't glean too much into it with the team that they had out on the field. But we saw what Devontae Adams has been able to do these last few weeks. And really, if you want to even go back to probably the last couple of years now. But uh, he's so dangerous on the outside. He is... He is one of those true nightmares for opposing defensive coordinators because how do you want to defend him? And and Aaron Rodgers plays a huge part in this as well, obviously. But if you you single cover Devontae Adams, and first of all, Aaron Rodgers is going to read that 100 times out of 100. It's not like you're going to confuse him and be like, all right, I I don't know if he's got single coverage or not. He's going to know if Devontae Adams is single coverage or not. And if he does – he's going to immediately attack that because he can basically not be covered one-on-one in in man-to-man coverage right now. So that almost takes like a huge portion of a defensive coordinator's playbook out because it makes it really tough to play that defense because they're going to pick on that matchup immediately exactly like they did against San Francisco and exactly like they did against Houston. And we've seen it in other games so far this year as well. So now what do you want to do? All right, you could play a ton of zone defense, but Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers are smart enough that if you're just going zone all day, they're going to have specific plays that they can dial up that are going to beat your zone all day long. So, okay, let's maybe play man, but let's play a safety over the top. All right, well, now you're going to have 
basically 10 on 9 for the rest of the offense, and now Aaron Jones is going to eat, and Rodgers is still going to be able to find players like Alan Lazard and MBS and, and the tight ends as well, and it's going to make their day a whole lot easier. And if you play 10 on 9 or 9 on 10 against Aaron Rodgers, that's not a recipe for success either. So Devontae Adams is one of those legitimate, true chess pieces that defensive coordinators are going to absolutely lose sleep at night over, and it's so fun to watch what he's doing right now. And again, I think my biggest takeaway is just how fun it was to see both two dynamic playmakers in Jones and and Adams back on the field at the same time and just causing chaos for an opposing defense. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And Andy, when you say that, think about how fun it's going to be on 10 days rest, likely getting back David Bakhtiari, Jamal Williams, Alan Lazard, all into that offense, and you get to play a team like Jacksonville at home. I mean, that, that, that offense is only getting ready to take another step. So that's a big takeaway for me. Uh, Perry, yeah, any, any takeaways for you? Yeah, I mean, I echo everything that Andy said. I think the thing about this game to me is if you take away the opponent and how bad they were, you know, a lot of a lot of players that I was concerned about or haven't shown up in the way that we would hope them to showed up this week. And I think that is obviously partially due to the fact that they weren't playing the toughest opponent, but you like to see those bounce back games when you get the opportunity on your schedule. You don't always get the opportunity to you know, beat up a team that has pretty much no starters. So when you see Preston Smith finally getting pressure and and Darnell Savage showing up in a way that he hasn't so far this season and everything that Andy said about the offense, even without some key players, it's not like the Packers went into this game full strength either, and they still did what they needed to do, and they won a blowout in a blowout. You know, I, I don't look at garbage time really in this game. I think at the end of the day it was 31-3 to um, in, in my head, and uh, that's – that that's the kind of win that the Packers, I think, needed. Um, I think that we have, and we, we'll get to this probably when we look ahead to the rest of the season, but I, I think there's a very strong possibility that the Packers can go on a little bit of a run the table uh, over the next couple of weeks, Ooh. and this and this is the start of that. And I think for me, right, okay, it wasn't the same team that beat us last season, but to still travel to California back to Santa Clara, back to that stadium and come out with not just a win, but like an ass beating um, must have been so therapeutic and cathartic and just putting everyone in the right mindset uh, to remind them that, yes, we are a contender. And if you are going to go up against us without your full strength, we're going to beat you. Um, And that's what a a good team should do. And so they did what they needed to do. Um, I think a little bit, though, right? It, it doesn't say a ton about the team as a whole. Like, were things fixed necessarily on either side of the ball? I, I don't know. We'll have to play a better team to find out. But it's a great start. It is a great start. And uh, just one more note that, that really made me feel, and I, I'd be curious to, to your guys' thoughts on this, too, was 
On Thursday, I don't know if I've ever been as comfortable as a Packer fan in my 21 years of life, right? At quarterback, running back, wide receiver, do you guys remember anything close to Rodgers, Jones, Adams? Because it feels like these are, you know, three guys at maybe top five, if not top three at their position. It's it's insane uh, the, the, the the level of talent that, that our top guy at each uh, three of those skill positions are, are. They're just outrageously good. Yeah, 100%. And that's why when I think people are crying out for a weapon, I'm like, we have the elite talent at the necessary position yeah. on this team. And Andy said it earlier, and I couldn't agree more. Like, look at all the other teams. Like, maybe there's a little bit of tunnel vision here, and we just want the Packers to be great, and I totally agree. But look at other teams. Who else has the, like you said, an elite Receiver, running back, and quarterback all on their team. Like, very few. And I think there's a ton of teams out there who would kill for the trio that we do. Yeah, I think you'd have to go back just off the top of my head to probably like 2004 with Favre and Amon Green. And that was the year that um, Javon Walker, if I remember correctly, had a really strong season. Yeah, he had 89 catches, almost 1,400 yards, and 12 touchdowns that year. Um, Amon Green had about 1,200 yards. Um, they still had some other really good players too, but uh, that yeah, I think going back to that, and I don't even think I'm not saying that Javon Walker is obviously on the level of Adams. <laughs> yeah, I'm on Green versus Aaron Jones. You could have a really fun argument with, and then you know Far versus Rogers, of course. But um, you know, I think you'd have to go back to about that time frame where they've had you know players at all three positions playing at that high of a level or high. Yes. So so you know it's been you know you have a driver's license since then. So I mean that's that's pretty impressive. So. Uh, the the talent of le- level of talent rather. I mean, it's 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 awesome on the offense. And as I mentioned, you know, next Sunday you'd likely get. And I don't want to be sourcing by any means, but David Bakhtiari, Jamal Williams, Alan Lazard, all back into the mix. It's going to be really fun to watch that offense back at full strength, or just about full strength, against the Jags next Sunday. So let's get into it. Uh, six plus two, as I keep saying, six and two equals eight. That's half of your schedule. Let's see where the Packers are at halfway through the season, shall we, guys? And, you know, we mentioned it earlier, and we'll lead off with, you know, where where does Green Bay stand, right? Where are they in terms of maybe in the NFC or the NFL? And after Sunday, it seems like they're right at the top of the mix, and they have to remain at the top of the conversation, just given the the outcome of a lot of things in Week 9. Yeah, I'm right there with you, and I think – for me, if I'm if I'm taking a, a step back and looking at this through an eight week you know evaluation halfway through the season, to me the offense legitimately took a step in that second year in Matt, in Matt Lafleur's system, and that was something that I personally was kind of saying let's slow up, let's not necessarily expect anything. I get I'm not comparing you know Mitch Trubisky and and Aaron Rodgers here, but you go back to even some of these Sean McVay offenses and Matt Nagy in his second season, uh, like th- there's legitimately been a step back for a lot of those coaches in their second year because now teams have um, have tape of the the individual uh, coaches and and what they've done in their first season. So sometimes yes, the players are more comfortable in their second year, but uh, now every other team has tape of what you're trying to accomplish. And I thought we saw even a little bit of that in in last season in the second half of the season where teams had started to maybe figure out a little bit what Matt Lafleur and Aaron Rodgers were kind of all about, and we didn't see quite as much explosion in the second half of the season. So going into the second year, I was kind of pumping the brakes and saying, hey, you know, we might not see this explosion. 
explosion of offense in second year just because it's the second year. Well, little did I know, you know, we were going to see uh, quite the explosion on offense, and I, I couldn't be more impressed with what Matt LaFleur's been able to do, how much Aaron Rodgers is completely bought in hook, line, and sinker to this offense, and, and really everything's been working on all cylinders pretty much besides a really fluky game against Tampa Bay where Rodgers uncharacteristically threw basically a couple pick sixes. And then, uh, you know, in a second half against Minnesota where, again, things just got a little bit off track because the defense wasn't really stopping some, you know, really anyone at that point. So um, that's my biggest takeaway on offense. And basically the defense is, is almost the exact opposite. We saw flashes of this defense a season ago being able to carry games and kind of almost win games on their own. You look at that Vikings game uh, to end the season to win the NFC North. That, that game was completely won by the Packers' defense and Zadarius Smith and Kenny Clark and Preston Smith and those guys just completely taking over the line of scrimmage. And we really haven't seen that same thing out of the defense. And, um, you know, if I look at the overall state of the Packers, really, really excited about the offense, still have a lot of question marks about this Packers' defense. Yeah, and I imagine, or actually, I don't even imagine. I know Perry shares that sentiment. I know she loves talking defense, so I'm going to let her do just that. Go ahead, Perry. I know you want to. I know you love talking nice things about Mike Patton. Um. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> that's not necessarily the most true. I. I. I mean, I just want to take something that Andy said from the offense a step further, and actually think that from the beginning of this season through to what we see now, I actually think Matt Lafleur has gotten way more comfortable and has become a better play caller. Um, we definitely saw, you know, the, the the offense came out firing from week one. There's no doubt about that. But there were definitely some things that I think we could have pinpointed as potential weaknesses. Drives were stalling out. We weren't great in the red zone. Um, maybe some, you know, short, you know, goal line uh short yardage at the goal line, um, fourth down, you know, things of that nature that the Packers have gotten infinitely better at. And I think at least this past week on Thursday, I just really felt like Matt LaFleur is really in a groove, and especially in the red zone. Uh, once the Packers get down there, you, you're, they're going to score. Um, and he's calling some really interesting plays, and he actually used A.J. Dillon when A.J. Dillon could play in short yardage situations. So I feel like Matt LaFleur is even getting better, which for the rest of the league should be kind of scary because the offense is, like Andy said, running like humming. Um, but yes, Alex, on the flip side, again, I completely agree with Andy, right? Like the pass rush isn't showing up in the same way, um, but I still think that we have a really talented secondary who's getting things done. I've loved the way Adrian Amos has played the last couple of games when, when he's needed to step up and be a bit of that leader. Um, but I, I also feel like, you know, to, to keep it on a more positive note here, we have the personnel to get back to the defense that we were last year. And so I think that whatever it is, play calling, effort, energy, prep, whatever it is, it's, it's not a personnel issue to me, which means that it's fixable within the season. Uh, so I hope that as the season goes on and the second half and maybe the picture becomes clearer that, you know, this team could really take itself to a Super Bowl, that this defense juices itself up and gets back to what it can be uh, because I don't think that it's necessarily lost. Um, I think it's just they're, they're still figuring it out. And luckily, unlike last year, the offense can carry them a little bit. Um, you know, we saw, like Andy said, the defense carried them a little bit in the beginning. Now the offense is rolling and hopefully the defense can catch up uh, like the offense has. Yeah, defensive maturation couldn't come quick enough, but uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed and see as things 
roll along. Next topic I want to get to, guys, is the MVP for the Packers of the first half of the season. Now, of course, there's one guy that's in the league-wide MVP conversation. His name, of course, Aaron Rodgers. So we're going to eliminate him. Anybody besides Aaron Rodgers, uh, I'm going to go first because I think there's another easy name to eliminate, and that would be Devontae Adams when he's been on the field. He has emerged himself as not even a hot take. He has been the number one receiver in football when he's been on the field this year, and, and maybe DeAndre Hopkins wants to have a conversation with me about that, but if not number one, number two, and he's been just ridiculously phenomenal. Uh, his route running has improved. His ability to get open uh, in between the number and the sidelines has improved. I mean, the guy has just been out, outrageous and unreal all season long. So, Perry, I'm going to steal Adams. Who would you say has been uh, the Packers' MVP of the first half? I think this is a predictable answer, but here we are anyway. It's going to be Jair Alexander, obviously. <laughs> PFF's number one graded cornerback. He is the definition shut down. He's gone up against some of the league's best wide receivers so far this season and given them absolute hell. Uh, no catches, no yards. He doesn't even get targeted anymore. Um, and to be honest with you, I, I think that you know he's – a bona fide pro bowler. He's putting himself in the conversation to be an all pro. He's so solid. He's pretty much the only thing on defense right now where I'm like, not worried about you. You're going to shut it down. Um, and I think that he's getting even better. And I think as the season rolls along and that confidence gains, he, he's only, he feeds off of his own energy. And I think that he's also infectious in his third year. He's becoming definitely a bit of a leader. Um, we potentially might lose Kevin King, so he's going to have to step up into that role even more. And I think he's up for the task. I This is off the field, but I just think he has really the right mindset. He's the kind of guy that you want to build a defense around. And we have a few of those pieces. And so I'm just I, – I, he's obviously Goot's best draft pick so far. Um, and I, I, I know that the interception thing is something that people have kind of tagged on him as – maybe something he needs to work on. But I think it's getting to the point where quarterbacks aren't even throwing his way. So if he's not even getting the opportunities to get interceptions because he's that good, then that's kind of a moot point now. So I'm just so impressed with the growth that he has has taken, and I can't wait to see what he does for the Packers for the rest of his career. No, I like that a lot. I like both those picks, and I'm uh, we didn't prep this beforehand, but I'm excited we all picked different people. Um, you know, I, I think if I were giving it out to like somebody in the organization, I think you could make a really strong argument for Matt LaFleur, but I'll keep it real and do a player. And I'm going to go Corey Lindsley. And, and my reason for picking Corey Lindsley is we have seen just about everyone line up at a variety of different spots along the offensive line, whether it's been Elton Jenkins playing left tackle, right tackle, left guard, Billy Turner playing right guard, right tackle, left tackle, Rick Wagner, right tackle, left tackle, Lucas Patrick, center, left guard, right guard, even took a snap at left tackle. Like, everyone has played almost everywhere and has been in games, out of games. Lane Taylor's out for the season. And the one consistent and the one constant has really been the quarterback of that offensive line, and that's Corey Lindsley. And, oh, by the way, he's also been freaking fantastic and is my second overall highest-rated player on the team not named Aaron Rodgers. So um, I think he's played great, and I also think he's been the glue and the person that's kind of kept that offensive line together, which also, to me, has been the engine for this Packers offense. There is no question to me 
you know, Devontae Adams, Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, those guys are playing really well. But for the most part, those guys were playing really well a season ago, too. To me, the biggest differentiator of why the Packers are playing great on offense this year and were just maybe good to really good last year is the play of their offensive line. And again, the fact that you consider that there have been like 10 guys who have played in all different spots and, and Lindsley's been kind of the, the mainstay, um, I got to give it to him. And I, I think he's had a really phenomenal first half of the season. And let me flip it on you with, with uh, our next topic, and that is let's keep it uh, on the field as well. Let's keep it with players for biggest disappointment. And I don't know if there's you know one player that's had a bad eight games because, of course, there's a lot of up and ups and down, downs to a season. But, Andy, go ahead with uh, your biggest disappointment thus far. Yeah, I'm definitely going to cheat on this one. And I'm just going to say that the pass rush and, and really kind of the front four in general – I, I tweeted out prior to the season started starting that I thought Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, Kenny Clark, and Rashawn Gary had the opportunity to be the next version of that New York Giants Giants front when they beat Brady in the Super Bowl with Osiu Minora and Justin Tuck and Michael Strahan and Matthias Kiwanuka. Um, I thought they had the ability to be that good uh, because we've seen what Z has done. We saw what Preston did a season ago. Kenny Clark's one of the best defensive tackles in football, and Rashawn Gary was really coming along. He looked fantastic in training camp, and I, I expected the world of those four coming into the season, and really all four of them have not come close to meeting expectations. I think Z, to some extent, is at least coming up with some of those flash plays here and there, not necessarily with the consistency that he did a season ago, but I don't think it's like he's been this major disappointment. I think to some extent you can just say he was an absolute freak show last year, and it's going to be it's always going to be tough to kind of replicate that level of success. He's at least had um, you know some of those solid plays and has, has played well overall. But Preston Smith, I think he had graded poorly in like two or three games a season ago for me. This last week was the the only week that he had graded in the positive all year for me. Uh, Kenny Clark, I know he's banged up, but uh, nowhere near. In fact, he has a negative grade on the season for me so far this year. This has been somebody for three straight years who has been either my highest or second highest rated player on defense for the last three years straight, and now he's in the negative so far this year. And then Rashawn Gary, I thought he came out and, and played well. He also got hurt, has seemed to not come back well from the injury with the same level, uh, although I did think he played better this last week. But um, all four of those, to me, our players who have been some level of disappointment. And to me, without this being hyperbolic, I think all four of these players are really the key to the Packers having the opportunity to win a Super Bowl. I have full confidence in the Packers' offense. I have confidence in the secondary, especially when led by Jair. Amos is playing better. I think when Christian Kirksey gets back, they've got a really unique group of linebackers with Kirksey and Kamal Martin and Chris Barnes, even maybe some Ty Summers and Raven Green sprinkled in. Uh, to me, this is the group that has to be great in order for the Packers to win a Super Bowl. And right now, they haven't even necessarily been good. So that's the biggest disappointment, and it's also, for me, the biggest key for the remainder of this season. Well, you stole mine. I was going to pinpoint Preston Smith a little bit more, just because I agree with you. I think Rashawn has stepped up and, and had some level of a – uh, progression from last season. Obviously, he's playing more snaps, so that makes sense. And Z has done enough. Um, I don't think he was ever going to replicate right what he was gonna, what he put on the field last year. Right? That was just historic. Um, so I was expecting a little bit of a regression, but I felt like maybe Preston Smith could still produce. And and to me, Andy, honestly, like the stats for Preston Smith are so jarring that. Yeah. I, I like he last season, for example, he had 11 hurries, 
uh, 12 sacks, 34 pressures through 16 games. So we're halfway through the season now, and he has three hurries, point a half a sack, and seven pressures. So he's not even getting anywhere close yep. to what he did last year. And for the money that we're paying him, that to me is the most disappointing because we saw what he could do, and we saw what Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith did on the field together. And you think when you add in a guy like Rashawn Gary and you have Kenny Clark, it's only going to make the four of them more cohesive and work better together and take off some of the pressure. So when you have Rashawn Gary, maybe Preston isn't getting the double teams or neither is Z, and Z is you know roaming and, and choosing where he wants to put the pressure on because Petten gives him that, that leeway, and none of it's working. Um, and so I don't know if there's something on the tape that you've seen, Andy, or if it's just a matter of maybe last season was the fluke and, and we're actually seeing the real Preston Smith now. I don't know, um, but that to me has been a disappointment because I felt like when you added in a fourth rusher, it would actually make all of them better <laughs> at their jobs. Uh, so so Preston's been my disappointment. And before anyone says, you know, well, it's just that he's dropping back into coverage too much. You know, he's basically at the same coverage rate that he was the season ago. They did a lot exactly. of it last year too, and it didn't affect his pressure numbers. So it's it's not just that. Yeah, and Packers uh, Twitter will be in agreement with you there, Perry, because they're they're starting to sound the alarms on. Uh, I guess they were more so uh, before the 49ers game, but sounding the alarms on Preston Smith. And yeah, I mean, how can you go away from the defense as the uh, the disappointment of the season? I'm I'm going to use a cop out answer as well, though, because uh, this is something that you know you can never predict, and that would be the injuries on the defensive side of the ball. Some of the guys that have spent time on the shelf that. Maybe this was a, a prove-it year or maybe a, a contractual year like Kevin King or Christian Kirksey, who was the big uh, you know, linebacker, or maybe not big, but the linebacker addition uh, in the offseason. We haven't seen a ton of him this year uh, in his first year in the green and gold. So, And Kenny Clark, as you mentioned earlier, Andy, spent some time on the shelf. So I, I want to see this defense with all these pieces uh, you know, in terms of is Kevin King a guy that we would like to spend money on coming into next season. At this point, the answer is no now because we haven't seen a ton of him. He's, he's been dealing with the injury bug again this year. And now Corey Lindsley, as you mentioned earlier, is definitely making case for a, uh, a new contract after this season, another big name that the Packers have in that free agency market. So uh, of all those guys uh, that, that have either been hurt or are dealing with the, contra- the uh, contractual thing coming next season, I just want to see this defense at full strength and see what you know this team is – uh, team is made of. But I guess I could be a 49ers fan, and I stand really dumb for not being one right now. So uh, <laughs> we'll move on from from that one uh, as the Packers look to change the narrative of the defensive performance after the eight-week eight week mark. Uh, let's move to some bold predictions for the second half of the season. This season's been uh, definitely up and down, more so up for the Packers. We've seen some new things in the maturation and the involvement in the second year of the Matt LaFleur offense. Of course, the tight end involvement uh, has been a lot higher this year than it was last year in terms of the, the receiving game, and we've seen multiple different tight ends you know, slot in and score touchdowns the last couple weeks. But uh, bold predictions for the second half of the season. Perry, we'll go to you again. Yeah, I think I a little bit alluded to mine earlier, uh, but, you know, looking at the schedule when it first came out, it was obvious that the first half was going to be the most difficult. Um, You never know how teams are going to shake out when they actually actually start playing, of course, but I think it kind of happened the way that I at least expected to, is that the first half was very road-heavy, 
and uh, and they were going to play the most difficult teams. And here we are, and that's true. And uh, the Packers spend a lot of time at Lambeau in the second half, which is great for them, bad for some of these other guys who are coming from maybe warmer weather places. And I really think that the Packers can go – at minimum six and two again in the second half of of the season. Uh, maybe to me, Panthers and Titans. Um, I have a little bit starred on here, really because they have Christian McCaffrey and Derrick Henry. There's there's no other reason except for those two players scare me with our defense at the moment. Uh, but again, they're both coming up to Lambeau and uh, are going to be hopefully playing in the snow in December weather. So I think that the schedule leans so heavily in the Packers' favor that they should take advantage and and run it back a little bit and and get themselves that you know, final elusive uh, first round by and home field advantage for a championship game that Rodgers has yet to have. And, um, yeah, just take advantage of the home field advantage. So I see a run the table part two. Before before I go into my bold prediction, let me ask you guys this. Are you nervous about the schedule the rest of the way? Not in the fact that there's any hard teams to play, but in the fact that there's no super difficult teams to play. And I'm not saying that they they couldn't lose games or, like you said, Perry, maybe lose two or three here and there. Um, I'm, anything can happen any given week. But I'm almost nervous in the other way around where, like, they could maybe too easily go 7-1 and one or something like that and not really see a super difficult team until they get to the first or second round of the playoffs. And then all of a sudden you're going to have to face a really hard team and you just haven't seen that caliber of team in like over three months, like two and a half months. And to some extent that is a little bit nerve wracking for me where I think, I think sometimes you almost need those teams to, to sharpen mm. your own team and what good or bad win or lose. I think sometimes you almost need to learn those lessons and kind of go up against some of the best. So just again, that you can kind of learn some of those lessons and just improve on your own. That's a little bit of a concern to me. I don't know if you guys feel the same way or maybe I'm just an idiot. No, I've definitely, yeah, I've definitely thought about that, Andy, actually. Like I've been, you know, which of these teams coming up are going to be in the playoffs, right? And, and what, is there any true test? And I think what I've at least told myself is that each game will bring a challenge. So, you know, the Colts defense, great. They also have a great offensive line tests for both sides of the ball. Uh, the Bears defense and also just division games in general are always funky like we saw with the Vikings. So those always bring new and interesting challenges. And then we have two great running backs that are going to test our run defense. And if there's one thing that this team needs to work on to make us a Super Bowl contender is stopping those kinds of running backs uh, that we might see later on in, in the playoffs. So I think that there's indiv- you know pieces of tests within these games where it's not necessarily like the Bucks are coming and they're the most whole, you know, a whole more holistic, difficult task. Um, but I think there are there's room uh, for the Packers to sort of test themselves going forward. Nope, 100% agreed, Perry. That's well said. And yeah, when you look down the road, I, I think you know maybe they won't play the top tier teams that maybe you'd wish, Andy. But 15, 16, 17 weeks, 15 through 17. I think all of those games will have some sort of playoff implication for the opponent, right? I mean, the Panthers are in the NFC playoff race. The Titans, who they see in Week 16, is the top their division and, and likely going to be looking uh, for more than one home field game after their AFC Championship game run a year ago. And they close out with the Bears, who I, I know maybe they won't be in playoff contention come Week 17, but given uh, their schedule the rest of the way, there is still high possibility they'll still be 
in contention for one of those three wild card spots. So I think those last three games for Green Bay, no matter what their scenario is at that point, those are going to be you know some high impact games, and, and they'll have their their test as as Perry mentioned, uh, Christian McCaffrey, then uh, D- Derrick Henry, and then I, I know the Bears rushing attack hasn't been supreme by any means, but David Montgomery is definitely a, a back that can make some things happen. So not an irrational fear by any means, but I think that, that there will be, as Perry said, tests within the test. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think it's a really interesting schedule that you have one game left, in my opinion, that should be a really easy win, and that's this next week against Jacksonville at yeah. home. And then every other one, you don't really face any really good to great teams, but you don't face any really bad teams. Maybe Detroit, but that's still a divisional game on the road, and Detroit's played them tough the last couple of years. So outside of that, there's no like game that you look at and say, all right, that, you can just chalk that up to a win no matter what. Uh, but at the same time, you don't have those you know, really high-end opponents like maybe a New Orleans or a Tampa Bay left on the schedule either. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that goes. But back to uh, you know getting back on point after I completely sidetracked us. Um, I think the pack, my bold prediction is I think Green Bay is going to finish with the number one offense, partially due to the teams that they're playing that we just kind of mentioned. But um, I think as they start getting Bakhtiari and Lazard and some of these weapons back, I think they're just going to go into even another gear. I think they finish with the, the, the league's number one offense. And you know, they always say turnovers come in bunches. I think this defense is going to start figuring some things out. I think the pass rush will improve, and I think you're going to start seeing those turnovers come at a much greater level than they have so far this season. I like it. Uh, mine is, is is kind of in a similar breath, right? We we all think the offense will roll. We all think the offense, you know, the, the Packers as a whole will roll, likely 6-2, and 7-1, and one, these final eight games. So let me finish with this. Not only do I think Aaron Rodgers is going to add to his trophy case and win his third MVP, I think nice. he'll have the conversation over with after uh, either week 15 or 16. I think that before that Bears game happens, I think we'll already know who's going to win the NFL MVP. I think the way Rodgers has been working in this Matt LaFleur offense again in year two has been really, really freaking fun to watch. And uh, I, I don't see that slowing down, especially with the schedule ahead. And uh, as I keep mentioning, you know, next week, hopefully you get a mostly healthy offense back into uh, Aaron Rodgers' hands. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun uh, moving forward the rest of the regular season. So I think uh, Aaron Rodgers handedly wins the most valuable player in the National Football League. Love it. Gotta love it. All right, let's get to it. Uh, yeah, you know, two, three minutes quick. Uh, so the Packers host the Jaguars next Sunday uh, at Lambeau Field, and they will not be playing the mustache in November of Gardner Minshew. However, they will be seeing Jake Lutton, who had quite the rookie performance in a loss against Houston on Sunday. But Jake Lutton and company coming to Green Bay. Andy, I'll flip it to you. Uh, any any expectations, anything you're looking for in this one for for Green Bay? Yeah, I think Green Bay just needs to con- control James Robinson, not make things easy for Jake Luton and company. Um, you know, make sure that DJ Chark doesn't have any of those explosive plays. I fully expect Green Bay to take care of business in this one, coming off a mini buy, getting some time to rest. Uh, but r- really what I would expect here is that Green Bay remains ultra-cautious with their injuries. One more week, I think they're going to feel pretty confident going against Jacksonville, maybe even if a couple guys are out playing at home. Jacksonville's uh, not exactly going all in at this point, and, and maybe quite the opposite, maybe trying to get uh, a little bit lower in those draft pick rankings to maybe get one of those top quarterbacks in next year's draft. So uh, I expect Green Bay to win big in this one, and, and I expect Green Bay to remain cautious with their injuries this week. Yep. Totally agreed. Uh, I think this is, you know, mini buy, which we desperately need from an injury standpoint. Uh, a pretty 
you know, they're they're at the bottom of their division, the Jaguars are, and this should be a, a pretty handed victory for the Packers. Take the win when you get one. Try to stay healthy. Send the Jaguars home from Lambeau uh, with a loss, and you know, keep keep going with looking <laughs> looking at at the the week ahead to to another one and zero. I I don't like to get too comfortable with expecting the Packers to win because I think whenever I do that, something goes awry, but I feel fairly confident that this is going to be a win. Let's keep the streak going. Score on the opening drive and and maintain control of that game throughout. That's really what I'm looking for, as you guys noted. This should be an easy win for the Packers, but I guess it's, uh, as as we saw in Week 9, any given Sunday. So let's hope for the best. Uh, guys, appreciate the time as always. Andy Herman and Perry Goldstein. I'm Alex Strofe here on the Pack-A-Day podcast. Uh, we'll have full Packers and Jaguars coverage all week long, so definitely stay tuned for that. That's all for this edition of the Pack-A-Day podcast. We'll see you soon. Peace. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health care provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new health care regimen, including EE system.